let's start with our scripture. We are back in the book of Psalms, the 27th number. We're going to begin at verse uh, number one, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Amen and to inquire in his temple. Amen. May God, as always, add a blessing to those that are hearers of his word. We just, we really appreciate, uh, you know, appreciate God and, and all that he does uh, for us um, because he just, he doesn't have to do it. All right. Now, we began uh, um, a, on a journey uh, a while ago okay, in this scripture here, and we, we started talking about the characteristics of godly goals, and then we moved past um, the characteristics of, uh, of godly goals, and, um, and, and um, here we now are, have progressed to the point where we are now on the other side of that, hence the title that you see on your screen, for those of you who are attending live watching it, um, the other side of godly goals, okay, purpose, okay, and that's what you'll see on your screen. Uh, one thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's from the English Standard Version, a little bit different from the one I um, read earlier, which was the King James Version, but as you can see, um, they're still uh, the same, okay, so we talked about the uh, that in addition to the six characteristics of godly goals, okay, um, that it was important to remember um, some things, to keep some things um, in mind when it comes to godly goals, and that is purpose, really, okay. And we had some questions that we wanted to consider: um, what is the purpose behind the goal? We need to keep that in mind. What is the driving factor that propels us forward toward that goal? What's the reason? What's the wind? that is blowing the sails that we have that's pushing us forward, okay? And why am I pursuing this, okay? Why am I going after all of this in the, in the, fir in the first place? And so those are some things that we, uh, we said, we gotta keep that in mind, why? Because our purpose is absolutely important. And so there's, there's, you can't minimize that enough. You don't want to minimize it at all. You want to make sure that you are uh, very acutely aware uh, of that because your purpose determines whether or not, and I've said it before, God is going to be checked in or God is going to be checked out, okay? So those are the things that we talked about, okay? Um, the B portion of our scripture, Psalm 24, 7, um, 27 and 4 rather, sorry, um, tells us, says, uh, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire, amen, in his 
temple, okay? So there are some things that we learned, and I'm gonna go quickly through this and get this back up here so that you can see it. We looked at the word behold, and we learned that when we talk about that word behold, it's more than just looking, okay? Or directing one's gaze. It has a stronger meaning than uh, just looking, but it really means to, um, it really conveys that in addition to looking, you're not just looking, but you're actually examining. You're getting into that thing. You are digging down into the depths of that thing, okay? So as we're talking about this B portion of our scripture, to Psalms 27 and 4, that phrase, uh, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We are getting into the motive of David. Okay, we're getting into the motivating factor. David, why are you doing all this? David, why all? Why is all of this uh, important to you? David, why, why are you going through this? David started out, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And before that, obviously, he started out. The Lord is the strength of my is the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So David goes through all of these different things. But by the time we get to verse number four, brothers and sisters, now we're starting to get into the motive. Why is he going through all of this? He's making these he's made these declarations about God's character, his attributes, okay, salvation and light. And we did a deep dive into all of those different things. There are lessons that you guys can listen to, to go over into the first three verses that of this uh, Psalms 27. But David goes into this, brothers and sisters, and he really begins to, um, to tell us what he's doing. But when we get to that verse four, okay, especially that B portion of verse four, now we're starting to get into the reason for David's season. Why is he doing this? And he tells us very plainly to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Amen. And that's something for us to be aware of. Okay. That's something for us to make sure that we understand why, because David is saying more than just, I want to see God's beauty, but more so I want to study it. I want to really dig down. Deep. I want to take it in. Behold means that I don't, I, I don't just want to gaze upon. It. I don't want a glance at it. I want to understand it, brothers and sisters. So many of us at times, the reason why we only go so far in our walk with God or our level of depth in this Christian walk, meaning that we never get, we, we all, many times we don't progress to, uh, to the level where God really intends for us to be. What level is that? For us to really not, to where we move beyond ourselves, where you get beyond the fact that God has saved you. And now you are able to focus on being a catalyst, so to speak, or being an instrument in the hands of God as he's reaching to save somebody else. Many of us never get that far. And that's sad to say. Many of us, your salvation goes no deeper than the fact that you've been saved. And that is a shame before God. I'm not sugarcoating that at all because that is not God's intention. God never saved you for you to just sit up and be saved, for me to just sit up, sit up somewhere and be saved. No, each one reach one. 
God saved you so that you could turn around and then reach out or be the tool in God's hand, the instrument in God's hand that he uses to reach somebody else. But so often we not we, we stop at the fact that we've been saved. We won't share the gospel. We won't share our testimony. We won't witness to anybody. We won't pray for nobody. We won't lay hands, none of that stuff. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, listen, God didn't save you just for you to be concerned about you and only you. When God saved you at a certain point, brothers and sisters, you got to turn that corner and you got to realize that God's got you from top to bottom. God has you and everything there is that concerns you. What are you saying, Brother Walk? I'm saying that at a certain point, you got to realize that you, you've been taken care of. God squared you away. God is providing for you. Yes, you might be having present situations that you're going through, but listen, you are a child of the most high and you have promises that back you up and tell you that you are going to absolutely be okay. Jesus told the disciples, let us pass over to the other side. And I have to remind you today that the same promise, the same word, Words spoken by our Lord and Savior to the disciples prior to them meeting a storm on the Sea of Galilee. The same promise that you are going to make it to the other side is the same promise that you and I hold near and dear, whether we are in the middle of a hard time or we have or we don't know that we are on the outskirts of getting ready to go into a hard time or a difficult time. God absolutely has you. And because he has you, you know what he's done? He's freed you up to focus on other things. Brother Walker, what other things? Somebody else. Focus on somebody else other than yourself. Do not spend your life being self-centered. God did not call you for that. God never called you for that. So those are some things that we've got to understand, okay? Now we're digging into the concept of beauty. We started this off last week. And we're going to really start digging into this um, and getting into the concept of beauty according to the scripture. This is very important to understand this because David did say in that B portion of Psalms 27 and 4, to behold the beauty of the Lord. So what was he talking about when he gets into all of that? Well, Lord willing, we're going to get in and we're going to understand all of these different things and be able to, um, um, to, to, to really walk away with something that we can turn around and share with somebody else. Notice what I said share with somebody else, not us keep it to ourselves, but us share it with somebody else. Because I guarantee you, beauty is a concept that a lot of people struggle with. And we're going to see that. We're going to get into that. Okay. Let's look at the, uh, the, the, um, let's, let's, let's take a look at, at this. Okay. The, the, um, and I, and I have on there, um, beauty, the biblical concept, but in actuality, um, for that particular aspect, we're actually not going to deal with the, the biblical aspect first, but we're actually going to deal with the world uh, concept of, of beauty. So that, that was a little typo there. Okay. Beauty, when we take uh, the word and we break it down, we just simply define it. And this just comes from your regular standard dictionary. You can pull, I use the Merriam-Webster dictionary. You can pull out any uh, standard dictionary. This particular definition uh, as follows. It's the quality or aggregate of qualities in a person or thing that gives pleasure to the senses or pleasurably exalts the mind or spirit. So on a natural level, if we simply define beauty, okay, 
what is beauty, okay? Then it's the aggregate of those qualities in a person that gives pleasure to the senses or pleasurably exalts the mind or spirit. It says aggregate of qualities. It's the quality or aggregate of qualities. So that means that it can be more than one. But when it says aggregate of qualities, what that means is, is that it, it can be more than one, but it's but it it's either it is either one or it is when we say aggregate a collection of qualities. So aggregate when we use that word here or it's being used here, what it's really talking about is the collection of qualities. So you're looking at the quality or collection of qualities in a person. So it could be more than one quality, but whatever it is, um, though that quality or those qualities are something within that person, okay, or a thing that gives, that is really perceived as being pleasurable or desirable um, to that, uh, you know, to that person, okay? So, so it's, 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 you've heard the term, the phrase, um, beauty is in the eye of the, of the beholder. Well, what does that actually mean? It means that, that, a, that a person individually determines, so to speak, what is beautiful to them. That's really at the end of the day, what that phrase means, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It means that what is beautiful to one person might not be as such to another person. Everyone doesn't have the same uh, view or concept of beauty. So the concept of beauty really can differ from person to person because people um, have their own idea or concept of that which is beautiful. You cannot necessarily just take um, a thing that is um, perhaps generally accepted as beautiful and apply that to every single person. There, I guarantee you, for every, it doesn't matter how beautiful a thing is, I guarantee you there is somebody in the world somewhere that will look at that same thing and determine for themselves that it is not beautiful to them okay so that's so so one thing you got to understand and keep in mind when we're talking about beauty there is always an individualized component because it differs from you know, the the what is considered beautiful differs from person to person okay now biblically beauty let's look at this kind this definition of of beauty because now we're getting into the bible one the first one was more of the uh the was a was a a world definition so that's from your standard kind of dictionary but now let's look at it from a biblical perspective from the biblical perspective um beauty is the qualities that give pleasure to the senses harmonious combination of qualities pleasant to see now that in a, in in if you really take a look at that okay and you really look at that particular um um that particular um um definition you're going to notice something okay you're going to notice something very uh, interesting about that. And what you're going to notice is, is that both the worldly and the spiritual concept of beauty share some similarities. So from those two definitions, the world concept view and a biblical concept view, they, they, they in, in, on, on, a, on a basic level, there are similarities because they deal with the aggregate or the harmonious same thing in essence the collection of qualities so not just a single quality but it could be a collection of qualities that are considered beautiful to a person so on a biblical level as and as well as the world level there is a similarity okay between both concepts okay and that cannot be ignored so there is a similarity but although there are similarities Okay, you need to understand that's just on the outside. 
okay? Those similarities exist just on the outside because they are the perspective, okay? Or the position that the world takes versus the position that, that God takes, okay? Or the spirit of God takes. Those are two different perspectives, Okay. Now, when I say the perspective that God takes or the spirit or the spirit of God takes, what I'm really talking about is, is I'm talking about the spiritual aspect. So the worldview, and then we got a spiritual view. And though the definitions have similarities, the perspective between the world and the realm of the spirit, God's kingdom, Christianity, whatever you want to call it, those are fundamentally different. They both have take up different positions. Okay, on the concept of beauty. And that's something that's very important that we need to make sure that we understand. Now, the world, we said, they tend to focus more on the external. Okay, that's just that that is. Um, and everybody here, you, you probably can deduce that for yourself. Okay, the world tends to focus more on the external or the object of beauty. And often it's to the point of idolizing it. Often it's to the it's it, it often it's it, it's to the point of worshiping the object itself or the concept itself. The world really gets into that because why? Because at the heart, brothers and sisters, of the world's perspective, their view. Okay, the at the heart of the world's perspective of beauty is really self gratification or self glorification. Okay, it's very self centered. The world tends to look at beauty and will acknowledge beauty, but it tends to do so from a selfish or a self-centered perspective. In other words, we look, the world looks at beauty from the standpoint of their own beauty, all right? And that's not hard to see. You can go anywhere, and, and I'm telling you, you can, I mean, as the day is long, you will run into, it doesn't matter where you go, you will, I'm guarantee you, you'll run into somebody who you can see, you don't, you, you don't have to, you don't have to question them. You don't have to, you don't have to, have to interview them. You can simply look at them. You can look at the way they carry themselves, the way they walk or the way they present themselves. And you can literally get an idea of their view of beauty or their concept or where their view is. You can pretty much, you can pretty much get a good idea from it. Not a total idea from it. Okay. Not enough for you to just be going around judging people. No, 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 no. But you can get an idea of what their concept is or what put of uh, or the level of importance that they place on beauty. Okay. And that's something that you need to know. Now, when we move forward, the scripture also deals with the external aspect of beauty. You need to know that. But it does so from a different perspective than the world. Okay. The world, okay. It does so from a different perspective of the world. The scriptures, although they deal with the external aspect, okay, the scriptures warn us of the pitfalls and the dangers of too much focus on the beauty of the creation as opposed to the beauty of the creator. And that is extremely important. The world deals with the external beauty. But the, and the Bible does not ignore the external beauty. The Bible also acknowledges it, but it deals with it from a different perspective. And one of the things that it does is, is that when the world, when the Bible deals with the external aspect of beauty, the scripture, you will all, you can always find it warning us 
of the pitfalls and the dangers and the traps and the snares, so to speak, that are around the corner, that are hidden just beneath the brush, and that you can fall in if you are not careful, especially when you focus on the, the creation, the beauty of the creation, rather than the beauty of the creator. And that is something, brothers and sisters, that cannot be stated enough. Why? Because that wrong focus, and the Bible is clear about it. The Bible is explicitly clear about all of this. The wrong focus, okay, can lead us away from God and into idolatry and pride, etc. All of those different things. Look at the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of what? Thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. When we get into this scripture, and we'll talk about that a little bit a little bit later, and really deep dive into that because that isn't just dealing with um, with 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 humanity, but that's also dealing. Um, but that also um, is a glimpse into the mindset, into the idea uh, of uh, and the problem that caused Satan to fall in the first place. Dealing with uh, his, you know, that pride and all of these different things, and so on and so forth. But for the, for all intents and purposes, what I want you to see here with this is, is I want you to see that, listen, that the scripture says thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. And then what happened? Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom. Now that's, that's heavy because wisdom is the ability to make right decisions. It's the ability to use knowledge correctly. Wisdom, knowledge is, you know what I'm saying? Knowledge is the what, but wisdom is the why and the when. OK, with not wisdom allows you to appropriately use the knowledge that you have or use what you what you what you have at the right time and in the right place. And what the Bible says here is, is that the heart was lifted up because of beauty. And when that happened, what did it do? It corrupted the wisdom by reason of brightness. What are you saying? It corrupted the ability to make right decisions. It corrupted the ability or distorted or dismantled the ability, so to speak, to make the decisions that are right and that are appropriate given the circumstance and the situation. Amen. Amen. And that's something that we need to make sure that we are aware of. Amen. Amen. Scripture, on the other hand, or going further with it, so not only does scripture warn us of pitfalls, but scripture also tends to focus on and it stresses the beauty of God himself and his creation. Amen. That's a wonderful thing. The Bible also focuses on that aspect. Okay. And at the heart of that perspective is what? The intent to teach us the proper motivation for approaching God. Amen. And that is very, very good. That's a wonderful wonderful thing for us. Beauty, amen, in essence, is a motivation for or should be a motivation for our praise and our worship to God. What are you saying? I'm simply telling you this. Beauty is a good reason to praise and to worship God. And in God's kingdom and in God's order, that's 
the purpose of beauty. That is the overarching purpose of beauty and why you and I are able to perceive it, why we are able to distinguish something and declare something as beautiful. It's not just for you to focus on that thing. It's not for you to just dote on that thing and, and become all consumed on that thing. No, 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 no. But the beauty of our God and the beauty of his creation, all that God has created, the purpose, brothers and sisters, is to lead you, is to show you and I how to come before the Lord. We are to come before the Lord, the scripture teaches us what? With praise and thanksgiving. Well, beauty is a reason. God's giving you a motivation to come before him. How do I come before the Lord with praise and thanksgiving? How do I come before the Lord like that consistently? Well, if you're going to come before the Lord like that or the way that God wants you to, you're going to need something that propels you forward to doing that. And the beauty, the focusing on not the thing that is beautiful or the creation, but the folk so much, but the focus on the creator is meant to be your motivating factor or a motivating factor for why you praise and worship God. Now, those are good things for us to know. Let's move a little bit further. There are six things now for us in addition to know about the biblical concept of beauty. Now we talked a little bit about this um, and, um, and we're going to dig into that again. We're going to cover this quickly because I want to get somewhere this morning. Um, the six things to know about the biblical concept of beauty, okay? Now there are more things to know about that, but we are not focusing on all of that. This is not meant to be exhaustive, okay? But this is meant to be general in order to for us to cover um, the most ground, all right? There are different types of beauty acknowledged or dealt with in scripture, okay? So, and that's, and that is something that, um, that you and I want to know. However, although there are different types of beauty acknowledged in the scripture, there are some things that we need to know. Number one, scripture does not condemn beauty just for the sake of doing so. We talked about that last week. Okay. Scripture does not teach that beauty or the acknowledging of that which is beautiful in and of itself is at, it doesn't teach it, it as evil or inherently wrong. So being able to, to being able to have the thought that something or someone is beautiful. Okay. Doesn't matter what it is. Being able to have that thought that thought that something is beautiful or to declare that some that that looks nice to me that looks good to me that that's that's a beautiful thing that 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 thing is beautiful that person is beautiful that, you know those things though it doesn't matter that 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 whatever it is the thought or being able to distinguish or declare something is beautiful is not evil and it is not inherently wrong okay scripture also does not teach that beauty in and of itself is something to be shunned, something to be ashamed of, or something to be coveted, or even something to be flaunted, okay? And we, we really kind of, we, we dove into that at the end of um, our last, at, at the, really at the end of our last lesson, okay? And, and again, that's very important, okay? Beauty in and of itself is not something to be shunned. Okay. And we talked and we, we, we talked about that. Okay. And it's not something to be ashamed of. God made you the way you are. Okay. 
And to God, you're beautiful. God, you're perfect. You're just what God made you to be. The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I believe it tells us that in the 139th number of the Psalms, if you were to read that, okay? We are fearfully and wonderfully made, okay? You are made according to God's specification, okay? And what you have is exactly what God determined you need, okay? God determined that for you, it's good. God determined that for you, it's all that you need. Brothers and sisters, don't waste your time trying to become something that God did not create you to be. Because when we start doing all of that, when we start becoming um, ashamed and we start um, be, um, to shun those, be, those, you know what I'm saying, that God has created one way. Why? Because they have some features that we don't have or, or, or whatever, it doesn't matter what it is does not matter what it is. All that you are doing is, is that you're beginning to move into the area and the territory of covetousness, right? And covetousness is, last time I checked, it's still a sin. God still does not want it. Why? When uh, we begin to operate in the territory of covetousness, I'm not satisfied with what I got, okay? I'm not happy with what I got. And I'm so not happy with what I got that I'm going to hate on other people that have what I don't have, or I'm going to hate on myself. Amen. Or I'm going to hate on myself and, and, and bash myself because I don't have a certain thing. Uh, -uh. When you started moving into that, you are throwing shade at God. You are disrespecting God. This thing is beyond you. And God, last time I checked, still got a problem with covetousness. So much so that is one of the 10 commandments. <laughs> Thou shalt not covet. God does not want you and I to walk in the territory of covetousness. Because when we walk in the area of covetousness, we are, we are blatantly displaying that we are discontent and dissatisfied and have a problem with what God has done. And God has, a, God, listen, and God's going to have a problem with that, brothers and sisters, all day long. God, they're going to have a problem with it. But Brother Walker, we're not under the Ten Commandments. It don't matter. God still got a problem with it. What God don't matter that you under grace. That didn't just, that didn't nullify the law. Uh-uh. All that did, what God, what Jesus did was fulfill the law. That's what he did. And remove the penalty from you and I when we can't do what the law plainly tells us we should do. What does the law actually do? It shows you how to live with God. That's the purpose of the law. It shows you the likes and dislikes of God, the purpose of the law. The book of the, the epistle of Timothy tells us, wherefore, we know the law is good if it what? Be used lawfully. Uh-oh, that's the New Testament telling you that the law still has a place. The law, Paul said, if it had not been, I had not known sin except for the law. The law told you right from wrong. And what was and what the law told you was wrong in the Old Testament. I, it doesn't matter that you under grace. If it was wrong in the Old Testament, it's still wrong in the New Testament. And if it's still wrong in the New Testament, it's wrong today. God does not like covetousness because it shows a lack of contentment. Okay, 
And those are things that we got to make sure we understand. Number four, the scripture acknowledges beauty of all types. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 311. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Notice he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Everything beautiful in his time. Amen. Number five, God called all that he created good. Amen. Amen. And that's a, that's a, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful thing to know. Look at Genesis 131. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was what? Very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Notice what he Bible says. He looked at everything he, he said, he, everything he made. <laughs> and he said, it is good. He said, it is good. And it's interesting because one of the definitions for the biblical word good is beauty. So, and I told you this, when God said it was good, he wasn't just saying it was good. He was also saying that it was beautiful. He was saying that it was attractive. He was, he was, he, he was saying that it was desirable. He was saying all of that stuff when he said it was good. God was covering the whole gambit. God was covering the whole spectrum. Spectrum. He said it was very good. <laughs> Not so. So very good is next level good. So it's beyond just just good. It's really good. It's really desirable. It's really attractive. And he's labeled that to all or applied that to all that he created. Now I want you to understand something. That's all that he created, not all that you create, not all that I come up with. Uh-uh. He didn't call that good. He called what he did good. And that's another thing that we got to understand, brothers and sisters, because a lot of times we like to we like to we, we, we like to substitute God's thoughts for our thoughts. We like to substitute God's ways for our ways. In other words, we like to assume that the way God mean a thing is the way that we mean a thing. Hold on. Scripture said God's ways ain't your ways. No, it's not. And his thoughts, they're not your thoughts. So don't, 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 don't use yourself. I can't use myself as the measuring stick for what God means or God's intent. No, 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 no. I got to be guided by the spirit. You must be led by the spirit. If you are not led by the spirit, you are going to be led astray. I'm going to say that again. If you are not led by the spirit, not only are you not the sons of God, because the Bible plainly tells us that those that are led by the spirit, they, he said, oh, they, they are the sons of God. The Bible teaches that. But if you are not led by the spirit, you are going to be led astray. Amen. And that is something that you have got to understand. God's ways. No, they're not yours. No, they are not. They're even almost yours. God don't even almost think like you. The journey that we are on is learning to think like him, is learning to be like him. Hence, that brings in yet again why what David was talking about or getting to when he says to behold the beauty of the Lord. Now, we're going to get back into that and we're going to deal with that further. But that is also part, part of what he's talking about, because God, we're on a journey, brothers and sisters, what? To, you know what I'm saying, to, to, to not be conformed to this world, what? But to be transformed, 
by the renewing of our mind. What are we on a journey for? So we're on a journey to let the same mind that is in Christ Jesus be also in us. Why is that important? Because Jesus is God. And if his mind is in us, it means that our thoughts are in parallel. And if our thoughts are in parallel with the almighty, then you are, listen, then your thoughts and your thinking are going to be sanctioned and authorized by God. Bottom line, God's going to bless it. God is going to bless it. Amen. Amen. And number six, the scriptures never puts a spotlight on beauty or the beauty of creation. Look at that. Or the beauty of creation for the sake of beauty alone. Scripture doesn't turn, just turn the light on it just for the sake of looking at it. No, when the Bible deals with beauty, it deals with it for a purpose. And brothers and sisters, we got to understand the purpose of beauty so that we understand how to use beauty. Beauty is meant to be a tool for us to use. And as we go forward, we're learning about what that means. Now, all right, as we get it, go further. Although the scripture acknowledges different types of beauty, okay? Both internal and external. The Bible deals with that, deals with all, deals with both types. It is never given permission, talking about beauty, though it deals with all types of beauty. Beauty in and of itself is never given permission to be worshiped. It's, it, 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 it is, it is, it's, it's simply not condoned. We are never given permission, although the Bible acknowledges beauty. The word of God, God himself never gives us permission to worship beauty. Mm -mm, no, he never gives us permission to do that. And a lot of people have run into a lot of problems, even Christians. Why? Because they have a misunderstanding of beauty. And it's sad, but we're hopefully what we're doing with this lesson is we're going to correct all of that. See, scripture does not teach us to be focused or fixated on external beauty. No, it doesn't teach us to be, it doesn't matter what that is. It could be a thing, it could be a person play. It doesn't matter. God does not, the word doesn't teach us to be focused on the beauty or the external forms of beauty. No, not at all. Scripture also does not teach us at any time to be self-absorbed on our own beauty or on the beauty of others. So it doesn't, so, so listen, the Bible doesn't allow you to, to get all lost in the weeds when it comes to beauty in general, whether it's creation or nature, don't matter. Nor does it give you and I permission to get lost in the weeds when it comes to beauty, when it comes to the beauty of ourselves or someone else. No, you don't need to shun it. You don't need to be ashamed of it. But brothers and sisters, you are not to focus exclusively on it. And some of us got too much focus on the external than we do on what is really important to God. Now, the different types of beauty, let's talk about this for a minute, okay? Because this is a very important thing. The different types of beauty that are acknowledged in the scripture, okay? Because there are different types. First, uh, Lee, one, for the first, one of the first things that we see is we see the beauty of nature. So natural beauty, we see that, 
okay? And we've got some examples of that, and I want you to take a look at. You see, uh, from the Old Testament, speaks of God's creation as beautiful. You can see that. You can look at uh, Genesis 2 and 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant in the sight, in pleasant to the sight, and good for food. Now, notice we said pleasant to the sight. That's beauty. <laughs> there it is again. That's beauty. And good for food and tree of and, and the and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So notice we say this stuff. It looked good. He said it was pleasant to the eye. That's beauty. Okay, that's beauty. Look at Job 26, 13. By his spirit, he hath garnished the heavens. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. <laughs> God made everything, even the snake. <laughs> he made absolutely everything. God garnished it. God did all of these different things. Look at Psalm 19, 19 and 1. And through verse six, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day, un day unto day utter speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their lines, are, their lines gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a what? Tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom cometh out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Look, beautiful. All of these different things. The land of Canaan is... Um, referred to as a pleasant land, and you see that, amen, in Jeremiah 319, Jerusalem, it's called beautiful, and you can look at that, and you can see Isaiah 52 and 1, and you can look at Lament, uh, Lamentations um, 2 and 15, all right, uh, one of the temple gates is referred to as beautiful, you read that in Acts 2, excuse me, Acts chapter 3, verse number 2, and verse number 10, all right, the Hebrews admired the wild, the grandeur of Lebanon's mountain range. You see that. Psalms 104, 16, Isaiah 16, 13. The Canaanite city of um, Tirzah, which means beauty or pleasure, all right? The king um, uh, Bashar's capital in the northern kingdoms. You can read that in 1 Kings 15 uh, uh, and verse 33, was named so. Why? Because of its attractive location. And you can look at that. Uh, Song of Solomon 6 and 4. So you have all of this. So there's the natural beauty. The Bible deals with the beauty that with beauty that is found in nature, okay, or in the construction of things, the 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 the, the splendor of a city, uh, perhaps all of these different things. The Bible deals with that type of beauty. So that natural beauty or that not the beauty that is found out in uh, in the world with just within nature and the creation. Right, the Bible also does something else. Guess what? It deals with human beauty, amen. Both men and women in the scripture are described at times as physically beautiful. Notice, remember what I told you the Bible absolutely covers all of it, it deals with all of the different aspects of beauty. And one of the aspects of beauty is that of you know, is that of human beauty, okay? So the Bible talks about female beauty. All right. Amen. Amen. Sarah. OK, is referred is 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 referred to as that. Look at Genesis chapter 12 and uh, and 11. OK, Rebecca is an example of that. 
Look at Genesis 24 and 16, all right? Abigail is referred to as that or is looked at as, as that, okay? 1 Samuel 25 and 3. And in fact, Rachel, uh, Abishag, Bathsheba, and Esther, they, them in particular, they're singled out because of their beauty. So you see, they're, they're, so within, under the umbrella of human beauty, right, we see examples of, 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 of human beauty in the realm of the female. But then you also see it in the realm of the male as well. The Bible covers it all. There are men who are referred to as exceedingly handsome. So obviously handsome is the, is the, is, would be the male version or equivalent of beautiful, okay? So when we say a man is handsome, obviously we're, is this, is, is, you know what I'm saying? We're applying beauty, but we're applying it to the male gender. David, we see he's referred to as that or looked at as that in 1 Samuel 16 and 12. Then you see Absalom, all right? And we see him in 2 Samuel 14 and uh, 25. You also see Daniel, amen. We see that in the book of Daniel, verse chapter one, verses 15. Joseph and Jonathan and even Moses as a child. And we see that and we can look at all of these things and we can see that, you know, in the scripture. And you can read Exodus um, you know, chapter one and really kind of dig into that, okay? So the Bible, it deals with human beauty, okay? The, the beauty of the human, of the male and the female. The Bible also talks about cosmetic beauty, okay? So cosmetic beauty are those things that are used to beautify, okay? So it could be anything that you can think of. The Bible does mention it, but this is also one of those things where we have to also make sure where we have a complete understanding or a good understanding because this is where a lot of people today get messed up right in here when it gets to the cosmetic beauty. The Bible does acknowledge cosmetic beauty, meaning in a general sense, anything that is used to beautify, okay? So that's what we mean when we say cosmetic beauty. We are talking about those things, whatever they may be, okay, that people use in order to beautify them, to, in order to beautify, okay? Human beings at times use cosmetics, and that was also in the scripture, and they did it to make themselves more beautiful, so to speak. Amen. Okay, that, and you can see that in the book of, uh, you can see that in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 8 through 13. Amen. You'll read that again. You'll read about it in Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 3, verses 18. Okay, you'll also see it uh, in the book of Esther. Amen. Chapter two, verses two through three. You also see it in Esther, chapter two, verse nine. And you see it again. Okay. And you see it again in Ezekiel 7 and 20. So you begin to see those different things, but you got to understand something about all of these things. Not only will you see it in those scriptures, but for those of you who are taking note of it, I invite you to make sure you read all of that. Because when you start getting into the cosmetic beauty, not only is the Bible acknowledging it, but the scripture sets that I give, gave, just gave you, they also show you the problem God had with a lot of that. Amen. And a lot of people think that it's just okay to just do whatever it is that you want to do. It's okay. Uh, -uh God, I got a problem with some of that. You need to understand that. 
God got a problem with some of that. Now, the scripture set that I just gave you, those scripture sets, when it's talking about beauty, and this is a good, this, and this is something that we need to understand, because did you know that cosmetics today is uh, often, <laughs> I think today it's probably counted up as a six, what is it, almost a $65 billion industry. That is, that is how much money uh, is, is, is that, that is made off of cosmetics. Okay. And nowadays it used to be that those cosmetics, okay. Most people tend to think of that just in terms of makeup, but cosmetics is a broader term and it doesn't cover just makeup. And a lot of things actually fell into the category of cosmetic cosmetics are considered is considered or would constitute absolutely everything that would be used um, in order to beautify. But you got to understand there are some things that God didn't have a problem with. And there are some things that God did have a problem with. Amen. Now, in the scripture set that I gave you here, because we want to make sure we got a good understanding of all of these different things. And we understand this when it comes to this cosmetic beauty. Amen. OK, and this is and, and this is hard for some people to understand the aspect in the scripture set that I gave you really deals with the adorning or the dressing. So the apparel, what you wore. OK, that is the beauty or the cosmetics that is referred to in the scripture sets that I gave you, okay? It deals with the dressing or the wearing. It does not deal with the set that I just gave you, okay? That set that I just gave you there is not, okay, specific or does not deal with another aspect of beauty or cosmetics rather, which is that of makeup. Those scriptures don't deal with that part. Well, I'm going to give you the scriptures that do. Those scriptures that I gave you don't actually deal with that. That deals with, again, the apparel aspect of it. So the cosmetics that fall under the category of things that you could wear, clothing, garment, or all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter what it, what it is. It covers all of that. And what you will see in those scripture is, is, is that you will see what God didn't have a problem with. And then you'll see what God did have a problem with. Why? Because arrogance and pride started getting in, get, came into the picture. And the very thing, amen, and you're going to see that. And the very thing that was um, that was at one point literally given by God to beautify, God had to take it away. Why? Because of sin. <laughs> so man came right in and messed that all the way up. That hasn't that. And again, that don't have nothing to do with the makeup. We're gonna get to the makeup here now. The makeup. When you start looking at makeup, the Bible refers to that or talks about that um, eye paint or, or or makeup, so to speak. You're going to find that in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. You're going to find it again in Jeremiah 4 and 30. And you're going to find it again in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 23, verses 40 through 49. Amen. Amen. A lot of people don't understand that, man. They want to know, do God have a problem with all of these different things and so on and so forth? And let me put it to you plain, according to the scripture. I can't make it up. I got to tell you, just like the scripture says it, when it comes to the adorning of yourself, the Bible is very explicit, especially when we get into the New Testament, that we are to dress modestly, we are to carry ourselves modestly, and so on and so forth. But uh, brothers and sisters, and I got to say brothers and sisters nowadays, because it ain't just women who wear makeup. You got men who do the same kind of thing, and as weird as it is, but that's what goes on today. I told you, it's a $65 billion in industry. 
God, when it came to the beautifying or the adorning, okay, what is authorized or was authorized in scripture was that of the apparel, okay? And not all apparel, not everything. And you will read that and you'll understand that in the set that I gave you before, okay? But cosmetics, when it comes to makeup and that kind of stuff, that was never authorized. And the reason, and when you read these scriptures, you will see, although makeup or cosmetics are referred to in the Bible, it is never referred to in a positive sense. And there's a reason why. The reason why is because makeup was always associated with harlotry, okay? Or in other words, makeup was associated with prostitution. Okay, and God had an absolute problem with that. And that's what you read when you get into 2 Kings 9, 30 to 37, Jeremiah 4, 30, Ezekiel 23, 4, uh, 40 through 49. God had a problem with that. So while you will see cosmetic, you will see that clothing was authorized, but you'll see that make it, makeup never was. And, there's a, and there is a reason, there is, and there are reasons for that. And again, it's because it's associated scripture-wise with prostitution. It's, it, it's never looked upon as favorable. God, you don't find no place in the scripture where God authorizes it. You don't find no place in the scripture where when God clothed, clothed his people that he gave them, you don't see none of that. And you're not gonna see none of that. And the reason why you ain't gonna see none of that is because again, it is associated with a thing that God absolutely detests. See, when the scripture, a lot of people want to get, they say, we want to split hairs. They say, well, Brother Walker, when you start talking about that, you know, wasn't he talking about the national level? Wasn't he talking about, hold on, you got to understand something. God often and or often use earthly things in order to illustrate larger principles. We see this, especially in the concepts of parables. Parables are what? Earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Amen. But they didn't start, but God using these, these aspects, God didn't always speak in parables. God also used other other examples of the world that to illustrate higher purposes that were nice that were not necessarily parabolic and many times when God was referring to the church or, or to his people many times the church is often referred to or associated with that of being a bride amen we are the bride of Christ and so the church or the people of God are always have often always been used from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the female gender has been used in order to describe, amen, to, dis to describe or as a descriptor for God's people. And so what you have in these scriptures that I gave you that deal with 2 Kings chapter, that are dealt with in 2 Kings 9, 30 through 37, Jeremiah 4 and 30, Ezekiel 23, 40 through 49. What you have is, is, yes, God is also talking to the nation, but he's using the illustration of a thing that he does not like and specific to that of the female. Why? Not just because to, 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 to bash on female. No, no, no. But because the female gender is often used to represent or to describe the church or the people of God. And so what he's showing you is, is that the very thing that he did not like for the female, there are also spiritual applications or implications of that same thing. In other words, it represents a spiritual thing as well. So when you read that, God says, I have a problem with that. Now, why does God have a problem with all this kind of stuff? Well, God has a problem with all of this stuff because the God 
sees these things as gateways or leading to pride and lust. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25, 26. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee, what? With her eyelids, okay? And the reason why he calls out eyelids is because the prostitutes, would, that's what they would do. The painting of their eyes was used or the makeup that they put on was used as a tactic of seduction, okay? That's what they used in order to entice the people of God or the men of God in order to breaking the seventh commandment, okay? That's what was used. And so when he's talking about the eyelids there, he's not just talking about your eye. No, he's talking about the eyes that are painted, amen. Look at Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of what? Thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom, and we just read that a little while ago, by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee down, cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Look at Genesis chapter 12, 11 through 12, all right? And it came to pass when he was come near into Egypt that he said to Sarah, his, Sarah, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a that are a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, this is his wife and they shall kill me, but they will save thee alive. Look at all this stuff that he's talking about. All of these different things that he gets into. Amen. Look at Ezekiel. Chapter 23, verse 12, she doted upon the Assyrians, her neighbors, captains, and rulers, clothed, clothed more gorgeously, horsemen, riding upon horses, all of them desirable young men, caught up on beauty. This one's talking about from the perspective of a woman who's caught up in, in the lust of a man. And there are other scriptures that talk about, from the male perspective, the lust of a woman or lusting after a woman. All of these things. God has a problem with all of that stuff. And he warns us about focusing too much on those things. Why? Because they begin to lead into pride and they lead into lust. And next week, we will pick this back up and we will go even further and deal with this whole concept as we deal with this aspect of beauty that God wants us to know about and get an actual handle on. Amen. We want to make sure that we understand these different things. Amen. Wow.